When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Nick Bob Podcast, coming to you live from the AOI Studios, a.k.a. my basement office. I love it in here. I've told you about the desk, the Aeron chair from Herman Miller, uh, but AOI does it all. Whether it's construction or furniture, AOI will help make your ideas a reality, just like they did for me with my pod room. you got to check out AOI on the web, AOICorp.com, or give them a ring at 402-896-5520. Well, what a weekend of hoops, and we got to get right into it on the pod today. Had an outstanding conversation with Greg McDermott, head coach of the Creighton Blue Jays. You're not going to want to miss all that he had to say about Creighton's incredible victory over Seton Hall, 77-60 to to capture a share of the Big East regular season crown. And because of how the tiebreakers work, Creighton is the one seed. They split with Nova and they swept Seton Hall. Just an incredible day. And uh, Coach Mack was great. You're, you're not going to miss that interview. That's coming up in a little bit. But I, I want to start with, with this here before we get to Mack. I can remember the March of 2013. And I was doing radio for Creighton. And the all the Creighton to the Big East stuff was heating up. Creighton's leaving the Valley, going to the Big East. We were at the Valley Tournament, Doug McDermott's junior year, having a great season, and there's tons of chatter. And then if I'm not mistaken, it was pretty much official that Creighton was heading to the Big East when the Jays were in Philadelphia playing in the NCAA tournament, played Cincinnati, and then played Duke and lost to Duke. And it became official in Philadelphia. And again, I'm doing I'm doing radio for, for Creighton. And I vividly remember just the emotions of the of it officially happening. And for those that don't know, I, you know, I've been around the Creighton program for a long time. From 2005 to 2008, I, I played for the Blue Jays. 2009, I was a graduate assistant for Dana Altman for Creighton. And then from 2009 till basically now, I've been Creighton's radio slash TV analyst, if you will, uh, sliding over and doing more Big East stuff and, and national stuff with Fox over the last six years. Uh, so I feel like I know a lot about the Creighton program and have a good feel for it. And of course, the move to the Big East was a no-brainer to pursue and then accept, obviously. But I can remember little conversations I'd have with people during that time, around March 2013. And I remember little conversations with people, and while everyone was excited and everyone was thrilled, there was that tiny little bit of, things are about to change. Creighton no longer on the top of the totem pole. You know, Creighton was the big dog in the valley. He had the best arena. 
you know, it, in the biggest city, arguably. Like, Creighton was at the tons of success. I mean, Creighton was the top dog in the Missouri Valley Conference. And now they're going to go from being the big dog in a conference to the little poodle in the Big East. And again, while, while it was a no-brainer for a variety of reasons to, to accept the invitation and go to the Big East, there, there were concerns if everyone's being honest, right? Because you know what? Creighton had a good thing going, right? Like Creighton had a good little mid-major basketball program rolling. Creighton was, you know, top 10 nationally, top 15 nationally in attendance. They were winning a lot of games. They were, you know, winning 20 games a year, a lot of postseason success. Like they had a good thing going. And, you know, all of a sudden you get concerned like, okay, is Creighton entering into a world that they can handle, right? You know, is Creighton going to become the cellar-dweller pinata for Villanova, Georgetown, Marquette, and company in the Big East? I just remember those emotions and those questions at the time in little conversations you'd have with people. And, you know, it's hard. The first year of Creighton's maiden voyage into the Big East, it was hard to even know how to make heads or tails of, of that because it was kind of a perfect storm. Creighton had its best team they've ever had at to date in Doug McDermott's senior year with Gibbs and Raggy and Managon, all those guys. They had the they had the best player in program history in Doug McDermott. And Doug McDermott was the national player of the year. So it was you know, that that season was a little like, I don't know. I mean, you kind of felt like Creighton could play in the ACC and have a ton of success, right? But the big question was like, okay, how is Creighton going to fare in the Big East Conference after Dougie and those boys leave? To contrast that, all those questions, all those thoughts, all those concerns, with the scene in Omaha on Saturday afternoon is just amazing. To contrast all those thoughts, comments, concerns, questions with the visual of Creighton climbing the ladder, cutting down the nets, hanging a banner. Amazing. I joked in a text message to some of my old teammates, sent it to like Dotzler and Nate Funk. I said, guys, 12 years ago, we were riding in vans in Valley Cities, getting five bucks to eat an Arby's roast beef sandwich for a pregame meal. Today, Creighton won the Big East. <laughs> Just amazing, right? It's amazing. Creighton's win over Seton Hall, the way they flawlessly dismantled the Pirates down the stretch, hanging a Big East banner, cutting down the nets, felt like a seminal moment in the program's history felt like the apex of the program's history today. Now I, I feel lucky that I've been intimately involved with Creighton basketball up close and personal since 2005. And, you know, to watch this program grow and improve and evolve all the way to wearing shirts that say big East champs, it's indescribable. It's indescribable. And while the program has grown and improved and changed, it still maintained its essence, though. 
A lot of the same principles that Dana Altman preached in the old gym in 1999 to Kyle Corver, Ryan Sears, and Ben Walker are the same principles that Greg McDermott is preaching to Tyson Alexander, Mitch Ballack, and Marcus Zagorowski. The way Kyle Corver, Ryan Sears, Ben Walker, where those guys shared the ball, competed, were skilled, could shoot in 1999, is not all that different from the way Zegarowski, Balak, and Tyson Alexander are skilled and share the ball and shoot. And I think that is something special. I think, I think that is something special. And all I know is Creighton basketball has never been better than it was on Saturday afternoon beating a Final Four caliber Seton Hall team with a first-team All-American guard in front of 18,000 people on national TV to win the Big East regular season title. Come a long ways from eating Arby's roast beef sandwiches in Carbondale, Illinois. Come a long ways, man. The game itself, let me say a few things on on the, the actual game before we get to a few other things at Greg McDermott. First of all, I thought Kevin Willard had a, had a really good game plan. And, it, and it's his plan speaks to the respect, and I guess you could call it fear to a certain degree, for Creighton and their offensive firepower. Kevin Willard knew that if the game got going fast at all, it was going to be a problem. So what did they do? Seton Hall basically stalled for all intents and purposes, right? Like walked the ball up the floor every time, eight thirty seconds off the shot clock every possession. Again, Seton Hall is a Final Four caliber team. They are a great team. But they had so much respect for Creighton's transition game and ability to score, especially at home, that they walked the ball up the floor. I thought that that was amazing. But the story of the game, to me, was the final nine minutes of the game. So Creighton gets an and one with Christian Bishop, got switched on to Quincy McKnight, he gets an and one. Christian Bishop makes the free throw and then gets subbed out of the game for Denzel Mahoney. And Creighton goes with their small ball lineup with Mahoney and Jefferson at the four and the five for the rest of the game. And Wowza. That was about as flawless of offensive basketball as you'll ever see. I mean, think about this. Creighton Creighton made 12 of their last 13 shots. Guys, that's hard to do five on O. That's hard to do five on O. And Creighton did it against Seton Hall with the biggest title on the line. I said, I love it. Matt Matt DeMarinas tweeted out the here is here are the plays in the final nine minutes. It's Zegarowski layup, Ballock layup, Damian Jefferson layup, Zegarowski three, Tyson Alexander layup, Tyson Alexander missed three, Denzel Mahoney made three, Tyson Alexander three, Damian Jefferson made jumper, Denzel Mahoney made jumper, Tyson Alexander made three, Denzel Mahoney made three, and then there was a Sharif Mitchell turnover, which in all reality, if he would have handled it clean, Creighton was going to get like a lob there. 
unbelievable. The final nine minutes of that game, you, when you take into consideration the level of competition, what's at stake, you, you won't see much better offensive basketball than that. Creighton closed the game on a 30-10 to 10 run and, again, made 12 of their last 13 shots. That final nine minutes, that's, that's on the short list of all-time stuff in Creighton history right there. That was incredible. All right, real quick, uh, before we get to Greg McDermott, I want to – so I'm recording this on a Sunday night, and the all-Big East teams have already been announced. Now, I the, still don't know what the, the individual awards look like, but so here were the uh, the the all conference team, first team all conference, and again I don't know why teams or why conferences hand out may have six guys on the first team. I, just, I don't understand that at all. But so first team was Kamar Baldwin, Tyson Alexander, Marcus Howard, Miles Powell, Sadiq Bay, and Najee Marshall. That was uh, those were the six guys on the first team. On the second team, it was Marcus Zagorowski, Paul Reed, Alpha Diallo, Colin Gillespie, and Tyreek Jones. So here would be here would be mine. Here here is my all conference team. This is this is me. I'm going to get my all conference team and my awards here. I will, in the spirit of the six guy thing on the first team, I'll just I'm going to do that because it just you know to keep some uh, you know some some consistency with with everything. He it's dumb. I get it. It's really dumb. But here it is. So here would be my first team. I would have. Miles Powell, Marcus Howard, Tyshawn Alexander, Kamar Baldwin, Sadiq Bay, Marcus Zagorowski. Those, those are my, that's my first team all conference, those six guys. Then my second team all conference would be Najee Marshall, Colin Gillespie, Tyreek Jones, Paul Reed, Alpha Diallo. I just think that the, the first team guys, Powell Howard, Tyshawn Alexander, Kamar Baldwin, Sadiq Bay, Marcus Zagorowski, those are. Those are the the six top dudes right now. Th- those are the six guys that had the best season in totality. That that's how I would vote. Now, in terms of my awards, we'll start with the most improved player. I mean, you could you could put a, a you could put a Marcus Zagorowski on this. I mean, you could put a, a Christian Bishop on this. But I'm going to give it to Romaro Gill, uh, Seton Hall. I mean, this is a guy that you know really couldn't even be on the floor for extended minutes a year ago, and he really changed Seton Hall's team with his rim protection, and he got to where he was a a skilled, capable finisher around the basket, not just dunks, little flip ups, little jump hooks. He could shoot free throws at a decent clip. To me, Romaro Gill. Look like a different player this year. He'd be my big, big East most improved player. My sixth man of the year has to be uh, has to be Denzel Mahoney. I mean, he's basically a you know a, a starter, you know, a sixth starter. You know, some people like to throw that that term out there. But I mean, the guy's averaging twelve points per game off the bench, and as we saw against Seton Hall, like when the game's on the line, he's he's on the floor. But Denzel Mahoney's got to be the the sixth man of the year. Freshman of the year, 
Got to be Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He he had an inc- a really good year. He's he's already a good player, and you feel like he's he's still like he still looks young, and like you you feel like he's a guy. If there's one guy I would circle as like that dude could make an enormous jump from his freshman to his sophomore year, I think it's him. And he had a great year. He had an outstanding year for Villanova. He's a a you know in all reality, if you weren't gonna give it to Jeremiah Robinson earlier, you give it to his teammate, Justin Moore, who is also a stud freshman. But I mean, Jeremiah Robinson Earl averaged 10 points, nine rebounds in the Big East as a freshman. I mean, come on. My defensive player of the year, Tyshawn Alexander. No doubt about it. What that guy did night in and night out defensively, and and most important in particular against the top guns, the top guns, Marcus Howard, Miles Powell. He he shut those two dudes down, relatively speaking. He, to me, I thought Romaro Gill would 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 be the guy. Then at some point, I thought, oh, Quincy McKnight. Then he, I mean, I love Aaron Thompson. I mean, Aaron Thompson's uh, a, a semifinalist for National Defensive Player of the Year, so he's got to be in the conversation. But I would give it to Tyson Alexander, Coach of the Year. Easy, Greg McDermott. Easy. I mean, think about Coach McDermott here for a second. Creighton lost Martin Crompel last year, who left early. Who now, arguably Creighton's best player last year. He leaves early. Then in the preseason, Creighton loses two basically starters. For sure, one in Davion Mintz, who was a two-year starter, but he had started ninety-six straight games. He he bad ankle sprain. He's out. And then Jacob Epperson was going to start more than likely. And he compound fracture in his leg out for the year. And Creighton was picked to finish seventh. Now, I thought that was ridiculous. I, I picked, I think I picked Creighton to finish third. But they were picked to finish seventh. And Coach Mack guides his group through all that, gets Damian Jefferson, Christian Bishop to improve big time, assimilates Denzel Mahoney into their way of doing things midseason. Gets those three guards to click at a high level, and they win a share of the Big East crown and are the one seed in the Big East tournament. Easy decision for Coach of the Year. Now, Player of the Year. Here's what's hard. Like with these things, it's like you know, there's like sometimes it's what you think will happen versus what you like what you think. You know what I mean? There's like anticipating what will happen and then what you actually believe. Now, I think Miles Powell is going to be the Player of the Year. And, I mean, it, it, if we're going to sit here and throw a hissy fit about Powell being player of the year, I mean, Powell's a great player. Sometimes these guys, Marcus Howard and Miles Powell, I, I mean, it, it kind of became laughable to me how scrutinized these guys became. Like, we people became so numb to what those guys do that we slid them into under the microscope and held them to the standard that was, like, almost impossible for them. To attain. I mean, almost impossible. I mean, Miles Powell's a hell of I mean, Miles Powell's a hell of a basketball player. Marcus Howard is the biggest all-time leading scorer. I mean, those two guys are good players. So I did it's it's been interesting to watch over the year the the narratives about Powell and Howard. But Powell, I think Powell will win the Big East Player of the Year, and I'm fine with that. 
but you know, gun to my head, I have to you know put my name on it. I would I would vote for Tyshawn Alexander. What's hard about these situations is sometimes that uh, narratives and and like we say it's not about last year, but sometimes these types of awards begin like it, it they don't just start this season. They they kind of like what it it's. It's what happened the year before leading into this season. So it, with all, it was going to be hard to, to supplant Powell or Howard. But, I mean, listen, I think Tyshawn Alexander did. Top five in scoring. Locked guys up defensively. Took care of the ball. Was efficient shooting the ball. Again, I think Powell will be the player of the year. Gun to my head, if I had to, if I had to say... Who my player of the year is? I think I think there's a great argument to be made for Tyson Alexander. A great argument to be made. So there you go. That's kind of how I'm seeing the little postseason awards and uh, all conference teams in the Big East. All right, enough of me. Let's get to the man of the hour, Greg McDermott, head coach of the Creighton Blue Jays. Had just a an awesome conversation about. You know, the Seton Hall game, what winning the conference, you know, meant just a bunch of really good stuff. Went kind of down memory lane, too, about, you know, what it was like recruiting Marcus Zagorowski and those guys. Uh, Just a a really, really good conversation. So without further ado, here is my podcast chat with the head coach of the Creighton Blue Jays, Greg McDermott. Well, his name's Greg McDermott, and his Blue Jays beat Seton Hall 77-60 to to win a share of the Big East crown. Just an incredible day. Mac, I can't believe you guys got to 77 points with how Seton Hall was doing a really a good job of slowing the game down and walking the ball up the floor. I guess we'll start there with talking specifics with the game and then kind of get into the big picture stuff. Were you surprised at, at, at how much Seton Hall wanted to slow it down? You know, I don't think, Nick, that anybody really wants to get in a track meet with us on our floor. I, I was probably a little surprised to the extent with which they slowed it down. Uh, you know, because Seton Hall generally will play with decent pace. And, you know, you know, maybe they slow it down on made shots and push it on misses. But, you know, Kevin made the decision to really uh, try to control the tempo. And while it took us a while, certainly, to, to find our rhythm and our flow offensively with that tempo, uh, what it allowed me to do is not have to go to the bench as yeah. much uh, because I think our guys were really able to get, you know, 10 or 12, 12 seconds of rest at the start of every defensive possession. The, there's obviously a lot, there's a lot of different components to the game we could get into, but I, I want to go the, to the final nine minutes of the game because, you, you know, Christian Bishop gets an and one and then on the free throw, you sub him out and you bring in, Mahoney and now you you got the small ball lineup and you go with that for the rest of the game and that was about as flawless of offensive basketball as you'll see you made 12 of your last 13 shots I mean that's hard to do five on oh and you guys did it against Seton Hall with the title on the line I guess for you what stood out to you during that stretch because that was incredible well, you know, we just made the decision, you know, we used the, the small lineup a little bit in the first half. Um, and then, you know, we were really struggling what to do with Mamu's ball screens with Christian or Kelvin in the game. Uh, so when they decided to go small, we just made the decision. We're going to go. We're going to go with Denzel. We're going to switch everything. We're going to front Mamu in the post and make them make them try to figure out how to guard us on the other end. So 
Um, I, I almost reversed my decision after Christian made the great play and got yeah. the three-point play, but we decided to roll with it. And, uh, you know, the ball moved great. The guys made the extra pass. And then defensively, I just think when you can switch every ball, switch switch every screen like that, I think it maybe knocks Seton Hall a little bit out of the rhythm. But, uh, you know, that group played great in Newark together when we played against Seton Hall there and won that game late in that game. And obviously they were outstanding again yesterday. I feel like you really trust this team and you, you feel good about their mindsets. So does that kind of free you up a little bit heading into a big game? Like I'm sure they're, you had a tough time falling asleep the night before and there's still butterflies, but it's, it's gotta be a little bit different when you have a group like the one that you have. Well, you know, you don't have to generate a lot of offense from the bench, right. you know, you know, we'll, we'll run a set play here and there out of a timeout and try to take advantage of something we see, but for the most part, it's talking to them about spacing and, you know, a, a, about ball movement, uh, about pace to what we do in the full court and in the quarter court offensively. And then you just let their instincts as basketball players take over. I mean, these guys, uh, it's no secret. I've, I'm blessed with some guys that have a really high basketball IQ and, and, you know, when you have three guards in, in Marcus, Mitch, and Ty, uh, who are willing passers like they are, uh, you know, there's a lot of possibilities within the scope of your offense. So, uh, you know, sometimes as a coach, you just have to get out of their way. And and that was certainly the case at points in the game yesterday. So you bring up Marcus, Mitch, and, and Ty. And obviously they're the, you know, they're, they're the guys, they're the the dudes for you for your squad. I mean, they're the leaders. And they all are different personalities, very different. What – what stands out to you? Take take everybody that's listening kind of behind the curtain on what stands out to you about each of those guys' personalities and how they kind of lead and impact the team. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, Mark, we'll start with Marcus. You know, he's just a winner. He just absolutely hates to lose, and he'll do everything that he can to avoid that, and that starts with his preparation. Um, and then his leadership and his ability to communicate with his teammates has just taken another, another, going to another level this year. Um, you know, and he's, he's skilled with the basketball in his hands, getting to the rim. He's, he can pass it. He can shoot it. Obviously he's a complete package. And then you've got a like guy like Mitch, that's maybe as unselfish as a player as I've ever coached when you consider, uh, his ability to shoot the basketball and his willingness to make sure everybody else is okay first. Um, and you know, all of our guys recognize how hard Mitch works at it. He's in the gym every single morning. He, he, he prepares, he prepares, he's talking to his teammates all the time yet. He, he can go for three in a game and have the same smile on his face after the game as he would have if he, if he went 10 for 11. And then I think Tyshawn's ability as a, a guy that's been a scorer all of his life to embrace the role uh, as a, a, of our defensive stopper and, you know, continue to do the things he does on offense while he's chasing guys off screens, why he's trying to, you know, guard miles Powell or Marcus Howard off the dribble. I, I just think that uh, our guys look up to, to what they've done individually. And then obviously the, the cumulative effect of that collectively has had a, had a huge impact on our team, but you know, Dick, we're not, those three have been terrific, but, you know, DJ's elevated his game yes. and has played his best basketball as the season has moved forward. Christian falls into that category as well. Denzel 
playing much better basketball than when he first became eligible. And, you know, even a guy like Kelvin Jones, if you look at his improvement and his contributions now compared to six weeks ago and in, in the game, you know, I think to the game that Sharif had against Georgetown where he had six assists and no turnovers. So really everybody has moved their game forward as this season has moved, moved forward itself. In, in your career as a coach, have you ever seen a player – improve as much defensively as Tyshawn has from last year to this year. And it's not like he was a bad defensive player, but this is incredible. It's, 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 it's almost unheard of, you know, like, you know, Kyrie made a great jump from his freshman to sophomore year, but Kyrie had, you know, the long arms and the defensive instincts. And, and as a freshman, he took all these chances and gambles and we had to teach him just to, you know, just to trust it, you know, you don't have to try to make a great play every time. And, you know, but, but what Tyshawn has done, you know, his, his ability to, to prepare himself and study the guy he's going to guard to, to ask questions. And, and now it's, it's grown to the point where he's making suggestions to me or to coach Lusk about, Hey, what if I did this? Or what if we switch that screen or, or, you know, what if, what if when they ball, when he ball screens for Marcus that I just, talk Marcus under that screen so we don't get Marcus caught in that switch early. I mean, thinking about things at a different level that he never thought about before. So it's been, it's been fun to see. Uh, I'm very proud of the approach that he's taken. And obviously it's had an enormous impact on our team's ability to have success. I, I do. I do remember you mentioning how excited you were about Marcus when you, when you landed him, but do you remember the first time you watched Marcus play? Like, has he always had that that just edge and fire? Because he is just like you can see, it, he's a volcano in out there of just competitiveness. Like, did take me back to the first time you saw him play? Did he have that right away? Yeah, yeah, I think he's always had it, and and you know, I remember watching Fred Van Fleet play uh, in AU and calling back to my staff and saying, you know, I just watched this guy from, from Illinois and their, their AU team, why they're good. Like he makes everybody on the floor so much better. Yeah. And, and we were a little bit late to the party with Fred in, in his recruitment. And I felt the same about Marcus when I watched him, you know, he, he, they had a good team. They didn't have a great team, but he made everybody better. And he willed that team to some wins that they probably shouldn't have had. And, you know, you could see his natural leadership qualities. You could see the toughness. You could see the, you know, the disappointment, disappointment in his face when you lose an AAU game. You know, most guys are worried about, you know, where are we going to launch and we play again at two. You know, Marcus was, he was ticked off because they lost. And uh, I really fell in love with that. And, and, uh, you know, Preston Murphy certainly was, was key in his recruiting and and led that charge. But, uh, uh, you know, Marcus has been a terrific fit for how we play. So I, I know it's hard because uh, you're about 24 hours removed from, you know, cutting down the nets yesterday. We're taping this on a Sunday. But, Mac, was there a moment yesterday that just felt special and different? Was it during the game? Was it after the game? Because, you you know, like – Days like that don't happen very often, if ever, you know, for a lot of people. Take me into your head. Was there a moment where you just caught yourself going, wow, is this special? Well, you know, DJ's dunk early in the game, yeah. uh, you know, was was pretty incredible the way the crowd exploded. And, 
you know, Seton Hall did a great job of, as we talked about earlier, about about controlling tempo and and not letting our crowd go on a sustained, you know, <laughs> on their feet, <laughs> right. you know, you know, banging their chairs for for minutes at a time because of the pace of the game. Uh, but you know, the I, I was I was with a couple of my staff members this afternoon, and I talked about you know the last three minutes of that game. And the first five or six minutes on the floor after the game was just absolutely incredible. I mean, to uh, to look around and everywhere you look, you see joy. And, you know, that's that's why we do this. You know, we hope our guys play that way. And, you know, to see a lot of people who have done a lot to help us put this program where it is to be there celebrating with us. I mean, that, uh, that's something that I'll never forget. And, uh, it, it was an incredible, incredible environment. And I, I just think it's a situation where, you know, 15 years from now, uh, you know, we, you could be, I could walk into a coffee shop and somebody could tell me, you know, where they were sitting on that day yeah. and what their favorite part of that game was. It was, it was that kind of a game. Uh, and obviously it, it has to set up perfectly. The stars have to align to have a great team like Seton Hall in the building tied, you know, playing for first place. It all has to work out. But it was uh, the game certainly, uh, certainly lived up to the hype. Mac, I remember being at the Valley Tournament in 2013 and there was the whispers about, oh, Creighton to the Big East. It's going to happen. And then I think we were in Philly for the NCAA Tournament. And it became official, basically, that it was it was happening. Creighton's leaving the Valley, going to the Big East. And while there was, at least, I can only speak for myself, there was excitement, but there also was like, a, oh boy, you know, we were the, we were, we were on the top of the totem pole in the Valley, going to be a little bit different now when you got Georgetown and Villanova and Marquette. And I, I contrast like that moment to, to cutting down the nets yesterday. How have you navigated this move to the Big East because you've had to take things up a level, but you've done that while still maintaining the essence and identity of who you were in the Missouri Valley Conference. That is really challenging to do. Well, I said, oh, something when I heard that, Nick, but I don't think it was, oh, boy. Uh, you know, it was, uh, uh, you know, obviously, as you said, there there was certainly a level of excitement and anticipation over a move like that. And obviously, you know, Bruce Rasmussen had the foresight to, to when we build a facility, we build it right from right. a practice standpoint so that, uh, you know, we were going to be, you know, the king of the hill from a mid-major level had we stayed in the Valley. But it allowed us to, to make this move and at least have the facilities in place uh, to give us a chance. And, you know, uh, I give a lot of credit to Bruce and his staff. Uh, you know, for providing us the resources that we had to have uh, to make this happen. And obviously there was a, there was a little bump in the road the year after, you know, Grant and, and Ethan and Doug and Johans graduated. Um, and, and that group continued to, to work the way we wanted them to work. Um, uh, but we were able to get it back on track relatively quickly. And, and I don't think you ever know. I think there's, there's just, there was so many more questions than answers at that point in yeah. time because you're, you're going into a new league you know you're learning you're learning the coaching styles of nine new coaches and and you're you know you're you don't understand what's it like to go play at Xavier what's it like to go play at Georgetown you know you're learning it 
for the first time. So you really can't help prepare your team. So that process and, and, you know, besides that, you know, I knew none of the officials, you know, like that's, <laughs> yeah, to be honest, that's, that's a, that's a part of the game. Yeah. You have to, you have to understand the personalities of the guys that are working the game. Who's got a short fuse, who doesn't, who can you talk to, who doesn't, who, do, who does not want you to talk to them. You know, those are things that you, you have to learn. So there was certainly a learning curve, but fortunately, you know, number one, we had the facilities, Number two, we have a great game facility. Number three, we have a great crowd. So the facilities and the fan base and the support gives you a chance to recruit until you can put a team on the floor and and establish an identity uh, nationally where kids are going to say, okay, now Creighton's in the Big East. Now I know they play fast. They shoot a lot of threes. And that that's a process, and it takes some time. But uh, obviously it's established now. And, and you know, yesterday was uh, certainly the culmination yeah. of, a, of a lot of hard work by, by a lot of great people. Just like two or three more things I'll let you run here. Uh, obviously, Coach, you still have a lot of basketball to play, and hopefully the best is yet to come for your group. So you don't want to stop and smell the roses too much, but it's hard not to after an accomplishment like that. When when did you feel like this team had a chance to be special? Like, was there a, a practice? Was there a game? Was there a, a half? Like, when did you kind of think, this, this, we might have something here. This is a special team. Well, you know, I think, I think, I've, I think I always believed yeah. we had a chance to, to be a team that could be in the NCAA tournament. Did I, did I think when we were two and three uh, in the league and, you know, really trying to get traction and figuring out how to fit Denzel into this uh, so that he feels comfortable and so the rest of the guys feel comfortable with him out there? Did I think we could be in this spot? I mean, probably not. I mean, to you know, to think you're going to go 11 and two down the stretch in this league. Right. I mean, it is hard to do. Mm-hmm. But I think Nick probably the Villanova game. Okay. And I remember saying after the Villanova game at Villanova, I remember saying after the game that uh, in Omaha when we played Villanova, we got Novad. You know, know, we, we have a lead, we're comfortable, everything's into the game and they don't panic. They just grind, they just play, they just do what they do and they try to do it a little bit better. And it's not, it's, they don't do anything extraordinary. They just do ordinary things really, really well. And at Villanova, we had a very similar lead. And they came back, they, they did their thing. They got us, got it back to even maybe went up a basket and we didn't panic. We stayed ordinary. We stayed true to who we were. We got the right shots. We stayed connected defensively and we were able to really beat them at their own game, which is one of the more difficult things to do in college basketball is to, is to try to out execute a Villanova team. So I think coming back on that, on that plane ride and on that trip, it was like, you know what, you know, this group is really connected right now and they get it. And to be able to, uh, withstand Villanova's run in their building and then find a way to pull away and win a double-digit game on the road there, like this team has a chance to do something special. You pay attention to seed projections and bracketology, stuff like that. You try to block that out. How, how is that for you right now? I mean, probably more. I probably look, I've looked at it more today than I have the okay. last three weeks combined, yeah. simply <laughs> because, you know, you're 
I don't know who we're going to play. Right. And, you know, we, we just played Georgetown and St. John. So both of those scouts are fresh in my mind. So, you know, I'll, I'll start tonight, uh, you know, looking at, at some of those games that they've played since us, but uh, you know, I clicked through it a little bit today. Obviously I've got, you know, coach Jacobson over at Northern Iowa that's fighting for his life trying to get in. So as much as I'm looking at where we're at, I'm looking at some people that are close to me in the profession and, and where they're projected to go. So uh, it's an exciting time. It's yeah. fun for our fans. And, uh, you know, like like I told the team yesterday, as, as much fun as yesterday was, I, I hope it's not the highlight of our season. I hope there's still some pretty cool things to come. What's the mindset, last thing, what's the mindset and approach heading to New York now? Well, you know, today was off, yep. and we'll, we'll get a workout in tomorrow. And, and you know, we got to evaluate where Marcus is at. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get some news there tomorrow. And I'm, I'm hopeful it'll be good news. But uh, we'll wait and see. And, you know, we just – we'll have an opportunity for a couple of days to kind of work on ourselves. Um, and, you know, we'll probably spend a little time on both teams, but um, you know, we want to keep them fresh. I, I think, uh, you know, a fresh mind and a, and a body that feels good is probably more important than a bunch of reps uh, at this time of the year. So, you know, when we hit that court Thursday at, at noon, uh, our, I want our guys to feel as refreshed as they felt in a while. So, uh, it's spring break, so they don't have any class to worry about. Uh, so, uh, you know, it'll be a, it'll be a good opportunity to get in the film room and, and get a little of the individual work in as well. Well, Mac, I, I, in my mind, the program peaked in March, 2008, when Nick Baugh gave his senior day speech. And, you know, when I put, when I put the mic down, I thought, I don't know how anybody could, could top this, but you've somehow done it. So congratulations. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, thanks, Nick. I appreciate it, my friend. (laughs) You're the man, Mac. Thank you. You bet. Take care. You got it. A Parkville Media Production.